Let us listen to the Word of God now as it comes to us from two passages in the New Testament. The first is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The words of the Apostle Paul to the early church and to each one of us this morning. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, and yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not, if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. It may seem strange to some folks, but uh, I love to wander around old graveyards. The older, the better. Uh, when we uh, made our last trip to Boston, uh, one of my favorite places was uh, to visit a, an old colonial graveyard. And I'd wander around the tombstones and read them. You know, the tombstones are, you know, they're so old, but the, but the artistry of those tombstones, uh, you've got the winged angels, you've got skull and crossbones and I was just amazed by that. I don't think Valin was as enamored as I was with wandering around endlessly in an old graveyard. Um, back when uh, I was a seminary student in New Jersey, uh, I was an intern for a year at the First Presbyterian Church of Cranberry, which is not too far out of Princeton. It was a church that was established in 1738, chartered by King George. Uh, the, the building actually went back to 1830. Uh, but attached to this church was an old graveyard, an old burial ground, containing at least the graves of, uh, the graves of 80 um, Revolutionary War veterans. And uh, I used to, to, to love just wandering around that old graveyard when I wasn't doing anything else. And uh, just reading inscriptions on the tombs, reading the, reading the epitaphs. And uh, many of the epitaphs were actually quite poignant. They would uh, uh, reflect upon the uncertainty or the brevity of life. One of the tombstones in the cemetery read, William Christie, native of Scotland, late merchant of Philadelphia, who was cut off in the flower of his youth by falling from a stagecoach near Cranberry, on October 24th, 1796, and was killed on the spot. I remember that because it, he was killed on the spot. Some tomb inscriptions uh, tried to be instructive, uh, like this one marking the grave of an old elder at the Cranberry Church. From this cold bed of humid clay, Reader, to you I cry, your time is short, make no delay, prepare, prepare to die. <laughs> now that's one up uplifting epitaph, I tell you. <laughs> Some folks were quite, quite, were quite creative in uh, choosing words to uh, mark the resting place of their loved ones. Uh, many epitaphs are actually downright humorous, like this one from Boot Hill Cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs with a 44, no less, no more. 
In the Ribsford, England Cemetery, Tombstone has this engraved. Anna Wallace. The children of Israel wanted bread. The Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife. The devil sent him Anna. <laughs> Apparently, she wasn't too popular around those parts. I don't know. <laughs> Or this Anna, Anna Hopewell's grave in Enosburg Falls, Vermont. Here lies the body of our Anna, done to death by a banana. <laughs> Sorry. It, it wasn't the fruit that laid her low, but the skin of the thing that made her go. Here's one of my faves. <laughs> a grave from... Uh, the 1880s in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Uh, this reads, Under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here. There's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. <laughs> or this one, Ezra Stiles, age 102. The good die young. I can't resist. This one is a, a grave of a lawyer. Here lies Jonathan Strange, an honest man, and that's strange. <laughs> <clears throat> and then this one. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. So I really was wondering what it would be, what my children would put on my epitaph, you know? Like, what would it be? Like, here lies dear old dad. Laughed at his own jokes. <laughs> Excuse me. Why is it funnier the second service than the first service? <laughs> uh, that's kind of strange. Uh, it's gotten into me. See, I'm enamored with my own humor, so I don't know what the, what the deal is, but... Uh... Well, you know what? You don't go to a graveyard usually to get a laugh, and you certainly wouldn't go there expecting to receive any good news. For uh, many people, think of uh, graveyards as kind of a sad place. You know, it's where people go to grieve. It's depressing. And they remind us of the inevitability of death, and nobody really likes to be reminded of that. Old graveyards may be interesting for a history buff like me, but uh, you wouldn't go there for excitement because nothing much happens at graveyards. Kind of a dead place, actually, except on... Memorial Day, and, but that's about it. Pretty quiet. And yet one glorious morning, 2,000 years ago, some women had come to, to the tomb of their beloved, wanting to anoint his body. And of all things, the tomb was empty. They came, the tomb was empty, and they were greeted by two men who said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Jesus is alive. 
The tomb is empty. A few years ago, uh, I traveled to Jerusalem with a group of pastors, and we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, um, which is over the, the very site of the tomb that we're talking about, the tomb that was empty. And, uh, and, the, and the church is massive, and uh, if you go inside, it's quite dark and dreary and depressing. And, uh, and you know, it's an old graveyard, you know, so, uh, you know, it just kind of felt like that. And, uh, and so we left there feeling kind of depressed. And then a little while later in the day, we were in another place, we were addressed by a French nun, and, and uh, she said, you know... That Church of the Holy Sepulchre, um, it really is an oppressive place. It is dark, and it's dreary, and you, you go down there, and they show you where he was buried. And, but you know what? They got it all wrong. Jesus isn't buried there. You can't find his bones there. He's alive. He's not there. And yet they've built this massive church and they call it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Holy Tomb. Why don't they call it the Holy Church of the Resurrection? He's alive. He's risen. It ought to be a place of incredible joy. And we all said, Amen, sister. <laughs> and we were feeling much better because of it. And that's exactly what the women found when they came to that place and to their utter bewilderment and amazement, they came to that very spot, again, to anoint Jesus' body, but they found an empty tomb and a resurrected Lord. Now, cynics and skeptics have tried to explain away the empty tomb. Some say the women went to the wrong tomb, that they were mixed up, and just, they just went to the wrong place. That seems pretty far-fetched, and if they were confused and weren't sure where the grave was, you know, they... Well, I mean, think about it for a minute. What gender were they? They were women. They would have asked for directions. <laughs> you know, if there was a man in the lot, the man would say, oh, no, we can find it, we can find it. And wander around there forever. My wife can relate to that because I do not stop and ask for directions. Jesus was buried, in fact, in a well-known tomb, known to everybody. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was a private tomb. It was distinct. It was guarded. You couldn't miss it. If there had been a controversy, somebody could have easily gone to the correct tomb and say, here's the body. But that didn't happen. Some say the disciples came and stole the body away and then proceeded to perpetuate the fraud that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the main problem with this is, uh, is you know, how do you explain uh, that uh, those early Christians were willing to risk their lives for what they knew to be a blatant lie? It also calls into question the competence of the Roman soldiers who were to guard the tomb. I mean, could they be that incompetent that they would allow the disciples to take the body away, steal it? Some say the grave was robbed by others, but what motive would people have to... to uh, to uh, rob the grave. I mean, he was a condemned criminal. Jesus was. There was no golden sarcophagi there, no golden chalices. There was nothing there. Why would they want to do with his body? And then there's that Roman guard again. And then there's a famous swoon theory. Maybe you've heard of this. It was, actually was perpetuated for centuries, made popular by an old book called The Passover Plot. And the theory is, is that Jesus only swooned on the cross. He actually didn't die. 
but he kind of fainted. And, uh, and so Jesus was then put into a cold tomb, and the, the coldness and the dampness somehow revived him, and uh, Jesus then was able to roll the stone away and could walk away. And there's all kinds of problems with this. Uh, for one thing, you know, the, the Romans were pretty good at their job. They were pretty good at executing people, and they would make sure that the, uh, that the prisoner had uh, indeed died. And uh, can you imagine also how a man who had been so savagely treated, mocked and flogged and so on, uh, hanging on the cross, could somehow have enough physical strength to get up <laughs> and roll a big stone away? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It never has. If there was a body, all the opponents of Christianity had to do was display it for all to see. There couldn't have been a better way to stamp out the Christian movement but that was never done because there was no body to produce. There were no bones to exhibit. The events of Easter are based on eyewitness testimony. The resurrection was an historical event. And the Apostle Paul makes a point of telling us that the risen Lord appeared to as many as 500 people. And an important factor pointing to the reliability of their account is the fact that the first witness of the resurrection were women. Because in the first century, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, said that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable because of the levity and boldness of their sex. Celsus, the second century critic of Christianity, mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. So if the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus was made up, why in the world would they present women as the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection? But perhaps the greatest proof for the reality of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus is the existence of the Christian church. Because think about it, if you were a, a Martian looking down on planet Earth in the first century, which group do you think would survive? Would it be a motley crew of a few hundred people who believed that some obscure carpenter had risen from the grave? Or would you believe that the Roman Empire would continue on? Which movement would, would win, Christianity or the Roman Empire? Well, we know who won, right? Because today, two billion people on earth claim to be Christians. The Roman Empire fell and has been long gone. So how in the world did that happen? Could it be that there really was an empty tomb and a resurrection? Was Easter real? Was Jesus alive and is still alive today? It was Josh McDowell who said, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it's the most fantastic fact of history. Christianity is built upon the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the linchpin of our faith. This is the most important holiday of the Christian church. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. And Paul said, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. 
and we're still in our sins. And we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, says Paul emphatically, Christ has been raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul and the, early Christian, and the earliest Christians have never struck me as people who would lie about that. So what does all this mean? It means that Jesus is on the loose. The tomb could not hold him. Death could not hold him in its icy grip. Evil forces could not hold him at bay. Jesus won the victory over sin and death, and because he lives, we shall live also. It means new life for us now, and that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, making of us brand new people, transforming our lives from the inside out. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You and I, because of the resurrection, the empty tomb, have a new identity in Christ. We are his Easter people, called to live out his love and to share his joy and peace with all who will hear. Lives are being changed for the better. The spiritually dead are raised. New life now. But it also means the promise of new life beyond the grave. Because he conquered death, we need no longer fear death. For we have a share in his victory. We can look at our last enemy, the grim reaper, square in the eye and not be afraid. We can even wander around a graveyard and feel hopeful. Death can no longer have power over us. Death has lost its sting. Read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter of the resurrection written by the Apostle Paul, and let his words fill you with assurance. When our loved ones die, we can know that they will be cared for by God and that God will not allow them to perish. And when we die, we die into the loving embrace of our Savior. The empty tomb changes everything. The most important fact in history, and it ought to be the central fact of our lives. Strange, isn't it, that the best news the world could ever hope to receive came out of a graveyard. Pretty weird. But God is always surprising us, isn't, it? isn't he? Well, many churches, especially back east, have an old burial ground, an old graveyard attached to them. And I was reading about uh, one such church. It was an Episcopal church, and the rector of the church was studying in his study uh, on one Saturday afternoon. And the women of the altar guild were out in the cemetery, and they were cleaning up the cemetery, removing vines and weeds and so on, make the cemetery look nice. He was studying away when a woman knocked at the door and said, Father, it's a very strange thing. I've never really noticed it before, but one of the epitaphs, one of the inscriptions on the gravestones, says, Oh, Lord, 
she was thin. And the father said, she was thin? I mean, what difference would it make to God whether the occupier of the grave was fat or thin? And so he went out with a woman to check this gravestone out. And he kind of kneeled down and, and uh, noticed that there was some moss covering up a word. And as maybe you have already figured out, as he took the moss away, as he scraped it away, there appeared an E at the end of the word. O oh Lord, not O oh Lord, she was thin. O oh Lord, she was thine. She was thine. And isn't that the good news that comes out of the graveyard? Not only that Jesus is alive and well, praise be to God, but that he has made us his. Oh, Lord, we are thine. We are yours. Praise be to God. In life and in death, we belong to God. And nothing can separate us from his great love. O oh Lord, we are thine. We are yours. Praise be to you. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. Amen. And amen.